Uh, we should put a note at the beginning of the podcast that says, if you don't want to sit through the whole thing, just skip to the last five minutes. Okay. And hear the I'll review. try to remember that. That's good. Bye. What's up, boss? This is Abraham's wallet. We span the gap between the austerity of obedience to God and the prosperity rising from faithfulness. Run your home and your dough like a biblical boss. Good afternoon, Mark. And uh, this might not be salient by the time people hear it, but the Manuel family is headed to a fish fry um, after this taping. We're very excited. Oh, man. The fish fry banter has been rowdy over on our volley channel. It's been sizzling up the volley lines. Yeah, in a very fish fry spirited sort of way, because fish fries, there's sizzle involved. Yeah. And we find that there is uh, there's some passion, there's some zeal around the subject of fish fries, particularly for the Cincinnatians. Yeah, it's it's something that I didn't know existed in the world. Really, I'm glad I brought until, it up until you said it. So, um, yeah, the just in general, I can't admonish our little fledgling volley channel enough. I can't. I cannot uh, tell tell the listener how delighted I am to see the activity in there. I got into a little bit of a spatula spat this week. I noticed that. With one of our listeners. But I made some comment about how I've got so many spatulas. I don't know why that came to my mind, but it did. Very random. And then I thought it'd be funny to make a little volley video of me as kind of the spatula gangster. Just... I, I couldn't find a big gold chain, but I wanted a big chain with like a spatula hanging off of it. Anyways, I made a little, what I thought was a funny bit of sketch comedy on Volley. And then, man, they came after me. These guys have more spatulas than I do. And yeah, yeah. some of them are uh, intimidatingly large spatulas. So, well, it's, you know, the mo- it's the modern way of sizing yourself up as a man is your spatula collection. You had to know that when you go down that old rabbit hole, there's going to be a lot of guys that want to, they want to bow up on you and show what they're made of. So it's understandable. Okay. Well, lesson learned. Don't, yeah. mess, don't mess with the boys on volley. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what other kinds of things I might roll out there to our audience that I turn out I'm, I'm kicking a, a hornet's nest. Yeah. Well, just beware of the volley people. And we, again, invite everyone to come talk to us on volley. You could just, you could join our channel. You could sort of audit. You could sit quietly in the shadows. Many people do that and uh, watch people talk to each other. There are really good questions that happen as well on the volley channel, not just nonsense like spatulas. There's really good questions and discussions. Uh, Right now, there's a little discussion happening about uh, someone's uh, son saying, uh, I'm not sure what to do because at my school or their Boy Scout group or something, we've been told to take oaths. And we're, I'm reading in the Bible that maybe that's not a good idea. And like, you know, the very good granular kind of family leadership questions on our Volley channel. Yeah, the only risk of the Volley Channel is that there are people on there that probably are at least wiser than me. Of um, course. Well, that's I think that's a good thing about it. Because as you know, when somebody asks a good question that neither you nor I know the answer to, you just lay out. You just sit in the shadows 
And then what we, 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 we crowdsource the wisdom and other people answer other people's questions and it's beautiful. Yeah. Well, that's true. And maybe, maybe someday this will be the beginnings of the Abraham's Wallet podcast network where we pull all these brilliant dudes into their own featured platforms. Don't even, men- don't even mention the podcast network. It's something I've dreamed about many times. I already have in my mind several hosts that should be running, that should be running regular podcasts. So yes, I, that would be awesome. Cool. Well, um, what are we talking about on this spring break eve? Okay. Uh, here's the setup for today. Uh, in our last exciting episode, which people don't want to miss, they want to catch each one, understandably. But in our last packed, action-packed episode, um, you described kind of a, a new vision for retirement and what's what's available to the grandparented aged person from a kingdom and family perspective, and that if they can set their um, earning time aside so that they could um, rejigger their financial situation, that there's a whole new vista that opens up for them, which is a very exciting thing to consider. Well, yeah. before we move on from that, yeah. I, you, you haven't actually published the episode at the time of this taping, but True. the title of that episode, in case you missed it, was it, it will be something like... Um, <laughs> Is it a sin to not retire? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, and I really, man, I've used that several times in the past week of just talking with clients is, you know, you say you don't ever want to retire, bro, but let's look at, at the scriptures here. And I'm not sure that uh, Walmart greeter is your highest calling when you're 70 years old. So yeah. I, I thought that that was not only one of our best clickbait titles, but also some some challenging new stuff for a lot of our people so definitely go check it out if you haven't heard it yeah as long as we're making comments on last week's episode in in uh looking at some of the editing for last week's episode um i noticed that i can't keep my hands off off of my eyes while we're taping so I'm making a concerted effort this week to not touch around and about the face and eye region. So that's my I, gift to you, the people. I thought you were going to, because you made a comment to me about, we were talking about the Just Thinking podcast. You, you talked about how you liked, you liked how those guys are constantly oh. kind of like pumping each other up. Yeah, I do. And so I don't know. I keep thinking going into our taping sessions that I need to just stick in some, oh, wait a second, Stephen. Wait, say that one more time. Say that one more time. That um, was so nice. You have to say it twice. Yeah, we we could use we could use some of that spirit here, maybe just uh, at the Abraham's Wallet podcast. Yeah. I saw something in South Africa. Forgive us, people. We're reverting into banter here. But I saw something in South Africa that was such a delight. Um, I'm not talking about just uh, black church culture. I'm going to talk about South African black church culture. And one thing that they do is when they, you you have been with me to Messianic um, synagogues 
deals. And, and one thing that I love is when they bring out the Torah, everyone they really honor this is God's word. Oh, this is so precious. And they they parade it around and everyone touched if you've never seen this before, everyone wants to touch the outside of the of the book, of the scrolls. And then they often will touch the after they touch the book, they touch to their lips and then to their heart. And what they're saying is, I want the words of this book on my heart, on my mouth, on my lips, and in my heart. Similarly, in South Africa, sometimes the old ladies on the first couple of rows, when this is the this is their version of saying hallelujah, glory, amen, they will take their open Bibles and wave them at the wave them at the pastor like they're just kind of throwing bible glory on whoever's speaking. So if a good point is made, these women will run up to the front and they will wave their bibles at it. It's great. And they will also sometimes pull out handkerchiefs and wave them at the front. And what they're saying is couldn't be in more agreement. This is this is God's word, etc. Wow. So, um a little See, hype like that goes a long way. If that wouldn't encourage you as a preacher, you're dead. Yeah, I, I love the idea of Bible waving because because <laughs> yes. we had a situation where I go to a church that is pretty it's pretty down the middle on most things, but we get a little charismatic sometimes in right. our worship. And when you're a little bit, even just a little bit charismatic, you know, if we were down south, we would be considered like just slightly to one side of of full sit in your seat with your arms folded yeah, baptist yeah. but but up here we're we're a little charismatic uh mm-hmm. when when that's who you are here you get when somebody who's really charismatic comes to town and looks for a place to worship they might pick your church uh-huh. and there was a gentleman that came in and I was I was watching him like a hawk because I was pretty sure he had brought a rifle into the church. Okay. Um, turns out he just had a carry case for his worship flag. Um, <laughs> but there was texts going around like, Mark, are you armed right now? And are you sitting behind this guy? Because I'm not sure what he's pulling out of this case when he unzips it. And thankfully, just a prayer flag. He just uh, very respectfully went to the back. and I've never just- seen that. Just waved his flag back and forth while the music went, and then he returned. Oh, he unzips, he unholsters his flag. Is he assembling the flag? Is he screwing two poles together to make it a super yes. flag? Yes. I mean, I'm telling you, his case looked like there was an AR-15 in that sucker, <laughs> but it was it was rolled up around one of the things, and then he assembled the full pole so that he could get a solid eight eight foot flagpole going. And uh, wow! Thankfully, I mean, not whatever. I don't really care but he he did go to the back of the room he wasn't trying to make a a show about the flag waver guy yeah yeah yeah, that's good and Um, on the way home he could have stopped at at a at a pool establishment put it back together there and done a little minnesota fats you know that's what i think when somebody's screwing a pole together yep yep all right yep back to the uh aforementioned episode so you talked about this this different um, stage of life when um, what we're calling retirement kicks in and your retirement isn't from output. Your retirement is from giving the lion's share of your hours to income. So what we want to do today is talk about some, some peripheral questions around that transition. And um, maybe we could think about the 
the 60 to 70 year old today who is either uh, they're feeling that that moment is coming or they're in that moment. And what are some moves that they can make to be shrewd around the the finances of this time? And if you're a 20 to 35 year old listening to this, you might have a 60 to 70 year old parent. And we're going to give you just a few tips that might make you sound two of them. Yeah, that's true. Um, These tips might make you a genius at your next family gathering. So don't tune us out just because the banter is over and that's what you came for. Well, I think we've just proven to the people, Mark, that banter can cut in at any time. You've got to be ready for banter because it could spring up on you. (laughs) That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, So let's go. What what do you do to get ready for retirement? I would like for you to revisit a concept that you shared last time, which is um, everybody, if you've ever seen a March Madness basketball game, then you've watched some, some commercial about getting ready for your retirement. And right now the hot one is a gray headed guy uh, running along the beach because he's saved up so much money. He gets to live his best life now. And it's so wonderful. He gets to go to Barcelona and run through the parks there. And you see the Santa Familia Sagrada, whatever that's called behind him. It's behind him. And so he's just loving his life. Okay, so everybody knows that we're supposed to be piling up a a secret uh, storehouse of money. The question to me is, and I'm going to try to play, as I said, straight man today. um, How do you know when you're still building that pile? How do you know when you're safe to start pulling from that pile? And when is it safe even to be pulling from that pile in a way that you are actively depleting the pile. It's getting smaller when you right. pull from it. So that's a that's an interesting question because thank you, Mark. Good. Yeah. Um, well, that's how we do here at the Abraham's Wallet Podcast. Oh, we great ask question! Oh, yeah. Will you say it again? No, don't say it again. Um, <laughs> I, I think that some people will never get to that stage, right? They might have inherited money or they might have saved up enough money that with reasonable spending, um, even if they're taking their family on amazing vacations every year, they're still not going to deplete it faster than it's growing. Um, If, you know, last week we talked about the 4% rule. That's kind of very back of the napkin version of how much can I take out of my investment account uh, without depleting the principal. Um, so if you think, you know, I've got $10 million, um, then you could, you could take $400,000 a year out and not tap into the principal at all. Most people won't use $400,000 a year in retirement. Yeah. Um, some of the people that we're, that are listening to this might be on track to have $10 million when they retire. That was an unfathomable number to our grandparents, but it's. It's not now because money gets gets seven percent less valuable every uh, yeah. every year. Go, that go we back s- to our inflation episode. That's right. Um, so um, some people won't deal with this. Other people will. This is a silly question for them because they did not think about this retirement stuff until very late, and 
they're going, I was able to, to start maxing out my retirement plans when I was three years before retirement. And now I have $75,000 in them. So for that person, we just say, okay, $75,000 in this account. Let's leave that alone as much as possible because it's kind of there for something like a medical need or something like that in retirement. We're going to need for you to learn to live on social security, which I think we'll talk about later, uh, or pensions or anything else. Um, the middle is where it's, it's a tricky question. So let's say you have saved a million dollars. Well, that can safely generate $40,000 a year for you. But if you're 80 or if you're 70, um, $40,000 might not be enough to cover all your needs. And so you might actually want to start taking more than that out of the account each year um, and say, I'm not going to be able to pass on a million dollars to my kids. I'm going to need to spend some of this to meet my needs. Um, and we do not think that's sin um, to save up money that you will need to spend eventually. Um, so in terms of how to know when it's okay, um, I, I think this is where a lot of people uh, benefit tremendously when they hit retirement. Even if you're not the type of person that's going to work with a financial planner for your whole life, it's tremendously valuable to have an uninterested third party that can step in and say, let me help you talk about all the needs so that A, you're not over projecting. I have some clients that come to us in their 60s and they say, hey, I'm a year away from retirement. I, I've heard that I'm gonna need to spend $10,000 a month. Uh, is that true? And we go look at it and go, based on your needs, no, it's, it's half that or it's less than half that. Um, I have other people who go, heh, We've talked about this before. They've got, I've got three hundred fifty thousand dollars, so I'm going to retire early because that's a ton of money. And we help them have a different type of epiphany that says that money will go away very quickly at the rate that you you are going to need to spend it. Right. Um, but I would say the 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 one of the best services we provide for clients that we're working with over a long time is we're able to tell them, hey you just asked me for a distribution from your account. Every time someone does that, uh, one of my jobs is to say, how will this impact them for the long haul? Um, and sometimes it doesn't matter. It's like, hey, there's a tax bill. We have to pay it or the house gets taken. Yeah, That's, that's not a question. But what happens then is we say, okay, we need to change some of the things about the day-to-day -day life because that distribution really changed our our projections for if this money is going to last you as long as it needs to. Other times it's, hey, I would like to get a distribution because I have decided to take my whole family and all my grandkids on a cruise. Um, sometimes the answer there is yes, yes, yes. Uh, absolutely. You'd, you aren't spending enough and you've got the money, go do it. Other times the answer is this would be a disaster. But often it's like, hey, that's no problem. We need to just talk about what the trade-offs look like. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a satisfying answer to your question, Stephen, but I think having a third party that can help you actually completely rerun the calculations anytime you're thinking about taking money out uh, that you're not going to be replenishing because you may be done or coming up on done with your income earning years. Um, that can be really helpful. 
Okay, that 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 is helpful. I have a couple of follow up questions to that. One, I know four percent is sort of a safe number. However, isn't it true that if the market goes up seven percent in a year, that you could afford to take seven percent? No, because some years the market goes down, <laughs> um, and you know. The right mix, just like everything else we're talking about, the right answer is going to be a little different for everyone. But for most people, unless they have escape velocity money where we don't need to worry about the the short-term variations, for most people, they're going to have less and less money in stocks, which go up probably around that 7% number every year over the long haul. And they're going to move some of their money to safer assets that return lower amounts. So right now, treasuries, you can get treasuries that pay well under 1%. Yeah. Most people aren't investing in those for retirement. They're using them for other purposes. But you can find bonds that are relatively safe that might pay you 4% a year. Okay. Um, so when you have a mix of stocks and bonds and you get that hammered out, you still don't want to say, well, the market went up. I mean, in 2020, the stock market went up almost 40%. Um, that doesn't mean that we said to people, Hey, spend 40% of your money this year. We said, this is good because we're going to have years where it's down 20%. So let's just count on averages over the long haul. Great. Secondly, when I'm thinking about that, that mountain, however large it is there, the hill of cash that people have, have piled up and they start to remove as their, uh, income earning days, uh, die away. Um, if somebody had followed the conventional knowledge and they took out a 30-year mortgage and by the time they retire, they own their house outright and they find themselves in a bit of a squeeze, say at age 80, and they go, I am depleting the mountain of cash and I had intended for my children to get most of this, but I'm, I'm having I'm to deplete it. Um, what about... Um, somebody that age taking out a new mortgage on their house. Yeah. Um, that's a possibility. The problem with that is when somebody is depleting their assets, usually they don't have an income source for, with which they can qualify for a mortgage. Do um, they sign with their income earning children? Yeah. But if we were advising their children, we would usually tell their children bad idea. Um, the more common move is for somebody in that position to consider a reverse mortgage. Right. So what that does is it actually pays you a monthly amount, which goes the opposite direction of a mortgage. Instead of having less and less debt as you pay it down, you actually have more and more uh, ownership that gets transferred. And the there's there's very specific qualifications you have to meet to get one of these. You have to meet with a qualified credit counselor uh, before you can get a reverse mortgage and get some education because they're very concerned with like elder abuse and people taking advantage of folks. Yes. Um, they do not want people to, to do this for six or seven years and then pass away and go, what, do, what are you talking about? My kids don't get the house. Uh, um, so there's age requirements and there's education requirements, but it is an option that some people will need to use if a huge chunk of their wealth is wrapped up in a house um, and 
they need to tap into some of that equity. And there's nothing wrong with it. The The thing to, to really make sure of if you're going that route is to have a conversation with the kids and say, hey, I need to do this in order to pay my bills. When I die, there will be debt on this house. Yes, You could either sell this house or sometimes your kids would step in if they're doing great and say, you know what, mom and dad, I would, I mean, I talked to a guy this week. He, he said, I would love to buy my parents' house someday. Mm-hmm. And um, if that's the case, maybe you have a child who would love to buy your house and rent it back to you for a small amount. And now you have all the cash from it. Or you, you can come up with a bazillion different scenarios yes. there. Yes. You could keep the bank out of it altogether by simply saying, what are our parents short a month? And then the kids go, well, we'll all pitch in 300 bucks a month and you're, you're taken care of, et cetera. Those are uncomfortable conversations that parents are loath to have with their kids. But if you see your family as a multi-generational financial play, then that makes all the sense in the world to go, look, uh, your home is a multi-generational asset. It's something that we know you own it on paper. But it's our concern as well. And we don't want you to be put into stress and anxiety, et cetera. So you can start building that culture now. So I have a five-year-old and I, it's funny because she'll tell you about the fact that, well, my bedroom is where I sleep, but someday mom and dad will sleep there because it's the only bedroom that has a bathroom attached to it that's downstairs. And I'm like, (laughs) I would be delighted if I am sleeping in that bedroom and one of my kids is up in this upstairs big part of my house. And my oldest daughter regularly is like, I would totally live with you guys if it meant I got to live in this house after you were dead. (laughs) So I think that sounds silly, but I do think you can actually create that culture so that it's just an open conversation even from a young age like yes this is our house this could be your house we have other houses those could be your houses let's think about it as the whole family's resources so that we don't get into this well mom and dad have a secret a financial secret that we don't talk to you about and uh you know when we die some lawyer will tell you what you get right i i Not to be macabre, but when I'm reminded of an episode that we did a while back about um, a a survivor's guide. And we talked about the, the uncomfortable and unwieldy and highly detailed steps that a child or a surviving spouse has to walk through when someone dies. And when, when, there have been no preparations made for that person's passing. It's terrible. I mean, it is. it, it can take up a year of your life. It's terrible. And so to, to be on the same page um, practically and financially with your parents, or if you're the aging parents with your children, to go like, look, we're all in this together. The, the, uh, you're, you're just one step down the river from me, and we're all on the same page. Well, then that transition of finances, it should be smooth. I mean, I think that's God's intention. So anyways, just a little plug for that. Now, let me ask one more question that I think people who are in their 60s or maybe even 50s are often wondering, which is, okay, when I do the math that you're describing, Mark, 
I feel behind. I feel like 4%. <laughs> and they're stuck between the rock and the hard place of going, how much of my lifestyle right now do I sacrifice to try to make that hill of money a little bit larger? And if I should be eating oatmeal and not uh, having cable in my house, um, I'm listening. That would be a hard nut to, that'd be a hard thing to swallow, but uh, I, I'm considering it. Do you have any, any shrewd advice for people who are thinking, I, I feel behind and I, I, I know I need to catch up a little bit, but I'm not sure how. Yeah, I think that, A, don't, don't go into permanent Lodofeb mode where you just total austerity in your 50s because you want to be on perma vacation in your 60s and 70s so that's one thing um i i think people often overestimate how much they'll spend in retirement and that goes back to last week's episode of they've been pitched on this vacation where i'm supposed to travel and i do luxury cruises and i play golf three times a week that doesn't have to be retirement and it's actually I think our argument last week was that it's actually a pretty thin and potentially sinful uh, conception of what your purpose is in retirement. Um, So I think getting a good grip on what you actually spend, I talked about this last week, but when we sit down with a client, we go through their budget and say, I know here's how much you think you spend, but here's what we think your actual minimum sort of fixed cost is, um, like what you really need to run your household for a month. And it's usually much, much smaller. That doesn't mean we're telling them to spend much, much less. We're just trying to get a good sense for what's what's the appropriate financial backstop for this family just to continue operations and not have to spend down money. Um, so that's a useful um, a useful exercise to go through to, to figure out, well, how far behind am I? Because I know folks in retirement who actually are pretty comfortable on their social security payment. And they're saying about their chunk of savings, they're saying, well, I guess just invest it aggressively because that's going to my kids. I don't need it. Um, that In order for that to be you, you have to have made a, a fairly large chunk of money during your career because we'll talk about social security in a second. It's directly dependent on how much you paid in, uh, how much you'll get out. Um, but if somebody's saying, I don't have much social security coming my way and I, I'm way behind, um, then confronting reality is, a, is an important step here. Um, and I, I would say this is where you just, you, you kind of take the steps that are possible. Um, a, a very common reaction with retirement savings when I talk to folks in their late 40s and 50s is they go, well, I didn't do it. And the calculators I've run say I need to save 4000 a month and I make 5000 a month. So I guess I'll just throw my hands up and hope something gets figured out. Um, and to them, I say, that's also not good. If you can save $50 a month, then save $50 a month. But also talk to somebody, I would say, who could help you actually sort through um, are there catch-up possibilities for me? Um, 
am I actually taking maximum advantage of my employer's benefits? If I'm kind of, I'm looking and I say I have 10 years left and for whatever reason I didn't start saving. Well, what could I do? Should I think differently about the way I was going to pay for my kids college? Um, Like there's a lot of levers to pull that people sometimes don't think of. And that's where we can be really helpful. It's just, it's, it's why a lot of people for the first time in their lives call a financial planner when they're thinking about retirement and starting to get close to it. Um, is, is it smart to to shuffle your money to pre-tax versus post-tax dollars if you're if you're getting closer to retirement? It can be. Um, there's certain situations in which it's a no-brainer where we look at somebody's accounts and we go, actually, you're going to quit working at 64. And you're going to have a year where your income is effectively zero. Let's use that to convert a bunch of your money to after tax so that you don't have taxes on that for the long haul. Um, But you can also really screw up somebody's picture by doing that incorrectly. And now they owe a huge tax bill at a time Mm -hmm. when they're least ready to pay it. So you have to be careful there. Um, I would say the flip side of this is true too. I've worked with people who they look at their workplace retirement plan and they go, wow, one and a half million dollars. I'm set. And then they turn in their retirement at age 57. And you go, well, you know, you're not allowed to touch that money until you're 59 and a half. And they say, what? <laughs> um, so um, you got to be very familiar with the rules um, and some of the expenses that come with retiring early or um whether that's by choice, sometimes it happens not by choice. You go, I'm out of a job at 57 years old, and I wasn't planning on that, but that make it's it's hard to get a job when you're 57 um, doing what you were doing before. It's often much harder than when you're 30 and you're looking for a new job. Without going into the very specific details, there's moves that can be made to sometimes free up some of that retirement money where we would look at the specific investments and say, actually, some of this is eligible to be sucked out of a 401k. Um, That's pretty technical stuff. Uh, So unless your hobby is investments and personal finance, that's the type of thing I say, it doesn't have to be us, but call somebody to, to get some help with because if you mess that up, now you're, you're dealing with penalties and more taxes and you might make a a tricky situation truly, truly bad. So that's case by case and find a professional. So let's let's get into the uh, crazy, zany, misunderstood world of Social Security. When you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, all you know is there's a line on your paycheck and it makes it go down because part of it just evaporates. And where did that money go? And at some point, we kind of hope and pray maybe we'll get some of that back. And how does that work? Yeah. So I'm not going to go into the history of Social Security and all that jazz today. But uh, one thing I think is really interesting for anybody, it doesn't really matter if as long as you've worked a job uh, ever and gotten a paycheck that Social Security was withheld from, you can log into Social Security, go to ssa.gov, and you can pull a Social Security statement And this is useful because I have had people who did this and they went, well, I've been working for four years and there's nothing on here. 
Um, that can be fixed, but you have to go in and, and figure out what's going on so that you get credit for the years you've worked. But if you do that, you can go to Social Security and you can pull a statement and they will give you an estimate for based on your work history, here's how much we think your benefit would be. Now, there's there's the question of will Social Security remain solvent and continue paying out if you're 25 now and you're estimating getting benefits when you're 65 can't really get into that too much. My guess is that uh, benefits might be reduced and the retirement age might be continually pushed back a little bit, but I don't think it's going to go away. That's conjecture at this point. Conjecture. Yeah. Get out of here with your pessimism, you 25-year-old pessimist. Yeah, come on. Um, But it's really interesting if you're kind of in that age where you're starting to think about retirement to see, well, what does my what does the Social Security Administration have as my work history and what do they think my benefit's going to be? Because when you start to be like 50s, definitely as you get towards your 60s, that's when that estimate starts to be meaningful. Because when you're yes. 25 and you pull it, it's based on your 10, 10 highest years of earnings. So a lot of times when you're 25, you have not had a single of your 10 highest years of earnings. Yet. Yes whether that's through self-employment or you work for a company or whatever. But when you get older, you can pull that statement, you can see what it looks like. And it'll say a full retirement benefit. What what do you think, Stephen, full retirement age is? 65. Um, That is wrong unless you were born before 1943. No way. No thanks. No. Um, If you were born between 1943 and 1954... So this might be you. Um, then your full retirement age is sixty-six. Ooh, and it, I was way off. It increases gradually if you're born before nineteen fifty-five to nineteen sixty until it reaches sixty-seven. And anyone born nineteen sixty or later, um, full retirement benefits start at age sixty-seven. So um, that's full retirement age. But there's also such a thing as early retirement age. And so some people, uh, they opt to take Social Security early. Um, does that seem like a good idea? No. Well, if you so you're allowed to take it as early as 62. Um, if you take Social Security at age 62, your monthly check, that amount that's on that statement, could be reduced by about 30%. Um, and nice. if you hold off... Go ahead. Yikes. Yeah. If you hold off, though, um, you actually get a boost if you wait after your full retirement age. So between 67 and 70, which is the latest you can start taking it, you get an 8% increase for each year that you wait. Wow. Yeah. So that's kind of how Social Security works right now. This is always on the table. It's a political hot button issue. Should they change it, etc.? But um, if you if you go pull that statement, it can be a really helpful piece of kind of thinking through what you'll need in retirement. Is how much am I in line to get, and do I have some money that's accessible to me that could let me wait um, a year or two or three to to get to that seventy full retirement plus three age where I can start getting a pretty hefty benefit compared to what I would get if I took it the very earliest at age 62. The reasons Um, not to wait are if you're going to die soon, um, then you should go ahead and take it. Yes. Um, 
And if you truly don't have any money, so you're going to have to take out loans or something like that just to live, then it's usually beneficial to go ahead and start in the year that you're going to have to run out of money. So, And those benefits, if they're not, if they haven't paid out, they get transferred to your spouse. So you and your spouse can each pull a statement. Um, And if one person, let's say one person worked their whole career and and one stayed home, well, the person that stayed home is going to have very little earnings on their statement usually, but they have the option to take half of yours or all of theirs. And then when you die, they'll get the lesser, uh, they'll get the greater of all of theirs or all of yours, but their okay. half will go away. So while you're both alive, if you have like a stay-at-home mom and a husband that works, then you would get one and a half times what that husband's earnings were. And then okay. when husband passes away, wife could go ahead and get the full amount the husband was getting until she passes away. Okay. And... It's just worth saying that if you're trying to figure out what what that 4% number is for you to not eat up your mountain of money, you've got to figure in what that social security number is. That's right. Part of your figuring. Yeah. Common, common things I've seen people do because they didn't quite understand what was going on here. Um, I've seen people just start taking it at 62 because they've heard in the news social security is not solvent and I just want to get something. So give it, give it to me now. Um, and that really, uh, can, can be detrimental when you think about the fact that even if Congress had to shrink social security payouts, they're probably not going to shrink it by the amount that you lose by taking that super early retirement. Um, and the other thing I've seen is people, I mean, we're getting into a different topic here, but um, they get ready for retirement and they say, well, I'm going to wait till I'm 65 and then figure this stuff out. And they don't do some of the other government benefits stuff that's really important. The main one being go apply for Medicare before your 65th birthday. So we can talk about, we can talk about Medicare a little bit if that's. Yeah. Hit, hit Medicare. Don't bore me, but hit it. Yeah. The short of it is health insurance, very, very expensive. And this is another thing that makes early retirement difficult is you, you tend to need more health care the older you get and, and you tend to be more expensive to insure the older you get. So um, the government has said, we're going to provide health care to Americans 65 and older through the Medicare program. You're eligible when you're 65 and everybody should go before they turn 65 and apply for Medicare. If you don't, nobody's going to come to your house and make you apply, but they're going to start charging you penalties that last forever. Um, So if you wait until you're 66, you will accumulate penalties that will be on your monthly premium for Medicare. How young, how young can you apply? You don't get to start till you're 65. Um, So that year before you turn 65 is when you want to get all your papers in order and submit them so that it starts when you're 64. That's right. That's the magical year. When when people are talking about the uh, Beatles song, will you still feed me when I'm 64 and your friends turn 64? I have some gray beard friends who are 64. I think that counts. Um, And they need to be told now's the time to apply for Medicare. I'm saying that over and over because I'm trying to drill that into my own head. Yeah, we... 
we could call them on the hotline and see if they've applied for Medicare right now. You know what? I'm going to insert. I'm sure you have more to say about Medicare I, because we passed over this thought and it was just something I was thinking about income uh, for, for people at retirement age. I'm just going to throw this out because I think it's a wonderful thing. I know it doesn't apply to a lot of people, but I, we, uh, I have a friend who um, was, he had a job, regular job, regular income. But he pastored and was a, a disciple maker to me and many friends of mine. And he talked about, it's funny because he was coming from a different angle at what you're describing about retirement, having this age of more impact with spiritual sons. He's like, I really want, there's such a need. And he wouldn't have put it this way. He said something much gentler, but there's such a need for my time. There are so many young men that need my fathering. And it's frustrating to me to work this job because every spare minute I have, I'm spending time with young men, with young families. They really need input. I can give it to them. And there's real value there. And I just threw out, you know, I can speak for myself. And I know a couple of the other guys that you spend time with. We would love to pool our money together to try to. Uh, make up for whatever your shortcomings are income wise. And, and, and I'm happy to say that happened. So for, for a group of people, just think about, I mean, we, we're not here to talk about the tithe, but if 10 people tithe, you got an income and he has more people than that, that whose life he builds into. And we all just contributed a few hundred dollars um, a month and he's well taken care of. He's, he's taking his, Social Security. Um, he has children. Nobody's crazy rich. But um, I just think of that as, I mean, nobody's, that's not my, that's not my move is I want to build into young men right now so that they'll take care of me when I'm retired. But I think it is a, it's a spiritual benefit. It's a, or I should say it's a financial benefit of a spiritual reality, which is um, fathering and care go hand in hand. So I say that more to young people when you're considering the gray beards around your life or people who are mentors to you. Um, you can be a real blessing to them by um, giving them some of your, your giving money, um, whether that's tithe for you or whatever. Um, and it, it, does, it does make an impact into an older person's income. So Yeah, that's mind. great. Back to Medicare. No, I think I actually don't have a ton more to say about Medicare. Maybe if we if we get the demand, I we can do a whole episode. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, because there's a lot to to figure out when you go to apply for Medicare. You have to decide what type of coverages you want. There's certain coverages that the the government requires you to take, and there's others that are optional. So Medicare has a bunch of other stuff that I don't think we're going to bore everyone with. Mm-hmm. Uh, on this Good. episode um there's different types of plans so you are required to purchase some of it you're not required to purchase other parts of it um you can get a private plan that, that meets the requirements so lots of decisions to be made that's that's worth talking to somebody who's not a lot of times the people that come to tell you and educate you about this stuff are actually trying to secretly sell you something so, mm, buyer beware we know that game in the investment world, right? There's a lot of so-called Upsters. financial advisors who want to 
sell you a mutual fund or a life insurance policy. Boo. Yes. We, we would say they're not financial advisors. We would we say would. they're salespeople. Yep. Sometimes you need a salesperson, but you need to know when you're talking to one. That's right. Um, so, Medicare. Okay. That's a that's a fun one and we can do a really dry episode. Maybe we'll do one where like we we get a a really nice bottle of scotch and work our way through it while we talk Medicare. <laughs> See if that would be one to drop at like um, 3 a.m. on a Thursday morning and it doesn't interrupt our regular publishing schedule, but it's just there for when everybody needs it. Yeah. You know, though, sometimes it's our it's our technical tips that people like the most. That I-Bonds episode we did, people dug that. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, okay, on a related note, um, something that's on the mind of a soon-to-be retiree, it's on the mind of most every retiree, which is uh, what happens when the day comes that I can no longer care for myself. And we're into the we're into muddy waters because if you have a multi-generational family vision and you've planned for that and thought it out, you've either constructed your home so that you can have elderly parents in the home that you can care for. You've made maybe some financial provisions, something like that. But when you're thinking of long-term care and you're the person who is, who is looking at that and you're thinking, well, I don't think anybody's volunteering to take care of this. What, what tips do you have for them? Yeah. Cause right now the, the average number that people spend each year in the final two years of their life is about $56,000 on long-term care. So that's a substantial expense. And if you think about the person who maybe has a quarter of a million dollars in their retirement account, um, they can't just spend it down to zero or they'll have no long-term care options. Now, we've talked about this with college savings before, that if you have no money, college is very easy to afford because there's lots of uh, grants that get given to you, right? You you can get financial aid and a lot of schools will just give you scholarship and grants based on need. So no money, pretty easy. If you have gobs of money, this is pretty easy to afford because you have gobs of money. Yeah. Um, anything's easy to afford. Lots really. of things are easy to afford. Until you get into like space travel and yachting, then you can okay. exhaust your gobs. But um, it's the people in the middle that have to worry about long-term care. And so for me, what I tell folks is that it's worth doing the math with somebody on whether you should buy insurance to cover this because they make long-term care insurance that will pay you a set amount per day for two or three years to cover somebody to help take care of you. Um, Or if you would rather self-insure and that would just mean saving so that you have some of that money built up. Um, All long-term care insurance policies have a cap as to how much they're going to pay out. And so it's not like... uh, you know, there's disability policies that say we just pay you for for the long haul or until you turn 65 if you become disabled. With long-term care, it's usually we will pay you two or three years worth of, of benefits. Um, and like everything, I don't know, we didn't mean to turn this into a, a diatribe against salespeople, but like everything that gets sold, there's 
good and there's bad products out there. And it's really important to know what you're looking at. Long-term care insurance will will look at what they call ADLs, activities of daily living. And it's like toileting, transferring, changing clothes. Um, And you have to not be able to do usually three of these before you qualify. Um, So that can be problematic if you are thinking, hey, I just want to stay at my house and I want some help with some things. Well, if the insurance company can't verify that you're physically unable to do like three of these activities of daily living, they will never pay you a penny. Mm. Even if even if you would benefit from having somebody come in and help you out a few days a week or mm. every day. Um, so you got to be really careful with the, the policy you choose. Um, and then there's a bunch of ways to structure policies that we can get into someday. Yeah, um, okay. But... I will say that some people don't need this. They they would say, no, we have a really sort of deep value of multi-generational living. I'm taking care of my parents right now. My kids are excited that I'm going to live in the same place as them someday. That's great. Um, you just don't want to count on that as your only option and then have your kids go, peace, I'm moving to Boston and you live <laughs> in Georgia. Um <laughs> Because then you have not prepared and you uh, don't have the resources you need to, to make it happen. Yeah. Uh, and um, I'll be looking between now and my, uh, I don't know, late 80s. I'll be looking for uh, something that I might could contract that won't take up those two years. I could hand my kids the hundred grand and then I can be like three, two, one, good night. Yes. Um, it's a thought. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know the best investment in the world, Stephen? Um, the, the souls of men, the word of God. Okay. Well, the best <laughs> financial investment. Okay. No, I don't know. It's to buy a term, cheap term life insurance policy and then die the next day. Oh, um, I see. Okay. Well, this would be when I hype you up. What an incredible episode this is. What practical help we're giving people. This is incredible what you tell people. Thank you very much. So I think these are some very helpful tips and thoughts on how to how to maximize retirement and how to do it right and put yourself yeah. in a position to, to be shrewd. Let's just let's just really quickly, I'm gonna give you if you're the twenty something or thirty something and you're gonna try to be whiz kid at the next family gathering. Yes. Just go look for all your sixty-four year old relatives and say, yes. Hey, have you uh, applied for Medicare? Yes. Um, that's a good one. And that's a good takeaway. You might say, Tell me about uh, your plans for how you're gonna fund the years between when you'd like to stop working and when you're going to wisely delay receipt of social security. Yes. And they're going to say, well, I don't even know how much I'm going to get from social security. And you're going to say, Hey, jump on SSA.gov and pull a statement. We can look at it together. I'm happy to help you with that. I like Um, this list you're doing. I like this review list. It's, it's delightful. Well, yeah, we should put a note at the beginning of the podcast that says, if you don't want to sit through the whole thing, just skip to the last five minutes. I'll try to remember that. That's good. But you can ask them, have you ever thought that the average American spends $55,000 a year in their per last two years? In their last two years, and they'll say either, yes, we've got it covered, or we've never thought about that, or, yeah, buddy, 
I'm going to be living at Hotel U and you're going to be wiping my behind in those years. Um, oh, <laughs> it's good to know either way what their plan is. Um, the how to calculate what you can safely remove from the mountain of money, which is 4% a year. Good to know. Yes. And you can remove more than that as long as you've made the conscious decision to say, I'm not going to, I'm not going to attempt to protect this mountain of money in its current size. I'm going to need to spend some of it. And there's nothing wrong with that. But we did say, if that's you or your loved one, um, I'm going to divert for just a second and tell you, I have very close family experience with uh, somebody who I had a large pile of money. And as, as a son, I was watching that pile of money get depleted uh, extremely rapidly. Mm-hmm. And it kind of came to the point, this was 10 years before I was doing financial planning for a living, where I had to say, hey, you're going to go from extremely large pile of money to zero in about another 18 months mm-hmm. if you don't make some changes. Um, so whether that's a, a child that can fill that role, whether it's a financial professional, somebody, if you have a parent, if it's you, um, it's really valuable to have somebody that can at least tell you some hard truths when you go to, to say, hey, I'm ready to pull some of my money out of my nest egg and use it for X, Y, or Z purposes. Um, my, my delight as a financial planner is when I get to tell somebody the opposite, which is, hey, you have money and do you know what money is good for? And then we get to talk about five capitals and I get to say, start spending some of this on something that will matter. Otherwise, you're going to die with all of it. And if it's if it's generosity, great. If it's blessing family, great. But let's not just leave it here and let it continue growing so that yes. some some uptight lawyer can tell your kids how much they get in yes. 15 may, years. May that be the case for all of our listeners. If it's not the case for you, may it be the case for your children because of the That's decisions right. that you make today. If you listen to us and we talk about, well, $10 million in retirement, you might go, what's the point? Um, (laughs) You might be in your 60s and you're saying, well, I've got maybe enough to live on uh, for my life. And I would just say, I can tell you story after story of 35, 40 year olds who received $30,000 of inheritance and it they were they were on track to start thinking multi-generationally about their money and $30,000 in their hands became a huge inheritance for yeah. their children. Yep. So don't minimize the the potential of planning wherever you find yourself on this journey. If you're 25 and you're thinking I could be diligent for the next 50 years and uh, amass significant wealth for my family, great. If you're 65 and you're saying I did not do this quite right, you know, even a small bit of faithfulness at the end is great and can have humongous impact. So be encouraged and go for it. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Yep. I will see you next week. Okay. 